As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the Friday edition of Football and Grits. I'm John Hayes. Again, I'll be here every Friday throughout the season with a special guest to pick SEC games against the spread. Before we get to our guest this week, I want to give props to our friend Tim Brando, uh, kicking off our Friday guest picker segment, going three for one last week against the spread and coming oh so close to nailing South Carolina outright on Saturday night at williams Bryce Stadium. That was a close game between South Carolina and Tennessee. Um, a special teams gaffe, of course, uh, didn't give the Gamecocks a chance to, to, to get that win outright. Today on the show, we want to welcome SEC Network's Cole Kublik to the show. You can catch the former Auburn offensive lineman this weekend on the sideline at Vandy LSU. Uh, We're not going to pick that game since Cole is on the call. Uh, But Cole, how's it going, man? It's good to talk to you. John, it's good to catch up with you again, man. Glad to be here. Uh, And I'm, I'm even more excited that we have... SEC football, and we got Big Ten football coming soon, and maybe some Pac-12 football. So uh, I'm just excited that we're sort of getting back to normal, and uh, we've got some some massive games to talk about. You know, I'm a, a Big Ten guy. I'm a, a Penn State graduate, but I, I, I spent my years um, becoming a an SEC believer on the Paul Feinbaum show. And truly, I'm, I'm not kidding. It, it didn't feel like it was college football season uh, until last Saturday. I'm sitting at the house. I turn on SEC Network at noon. Uh, we've got Auburn, Kentucky, a good game. And there you are uh, in your natural habitat. What did it feel like to be on the planes, on the sideline, and, and actually be at an SEC game in 2020, which has been the craziest year maybe of anybody's lives? Oh, there's no doubt. It, um well, first, I'll say before the game was really strange because I mean, you've been to SEC games, you've been to the campuses, you've seen what a game, not just a game day, but a game weekend is like. And driving into the stadium, no RVs, no tailgate tents. You know, there's not people that have marked off their spots and you can tell they've been there for two or three days. There was no Tiger Walk. The Eagle didn't fly before the game. Obviously, there was a uh, there was a limited crowd of about a little over seventeen thousand people. So, so much of it was so different. But it, it was interesting. I was on the field before the game, and an Auburn athletic director, Alan Green, came over and he said, "Hey, um, I, I've seen you do in other games. I know you've been other places. Just what's it been like? Tell me. Just, just give me an idea. How's it been? How's it felt? Uh, you know, just what have you thought?" And I said, um, 
I said, here's the deal. I, I said, it's all going to be different no matter where we go, no matter what conference, what teams, how big the game is. It's, it's all going to be different this year. I said, but you just wait. Third series, fourth series of the game, you'll catch yourself just being so thankful you're watching football and everything else goes away. There's, there, there's no election. There's no COVID. There's no murder hornets. It's just all of a sudden you're just immersed in football. And it's a beautiful thing. We all sort of need that escape. We all sort of need to be able to sit back and enjoy what we love so much in college football that for a few hours, it, it's really cool for a lot of people. And I've found myself almost every weekend thinking the exact same thing. So very different. But, man, once the game got going, especially that one, that was a physical game. You know, that, that, was, that was a really good football, competitive football game for about three quarters. And it was just a lot of fun to be there doing it. It was a lot of fun to watch it, too. And, and I think you talk about a different season. And it just keeps coming because this thought of a 10-game SEC conference schedule where week after week we get a full SEC slate, it feels like almost football overload in, in a year that has had <laughs> so you know many negatives and so many issues. This 10-game SEC schedule is unbelievable. And if you love the conference and, and you love the sport, there's nothing better than week after week after week, a full SEC slate. We're, we're going to get into that slate on the show today. We've got Ole Miss at Kentucky this weekend. The Wildcats a six-and-a-half-point favorite at home. Texas A&M at Bama, another home favorite there, 17 points. South Carolina at Florida in the East, Florida 17 and a half point favorite there after their impressive performance on the road at Ole Miss. But where I want to start with you is Auburn at Georgia, clearly the biggest game of the weekend. The Dogs at home, a six and a half point favorite. You saw Auburn in person last week, of course. Georgia didn't look great at Arkansas. That's been a huge talking point this week. Uh, a lot of questions at quarterback. How do you see this matchup, Cole? Wouldn't you love to be Kirby Smart where you're sitting there with a 37-10 to victory and you're 1-0 in, in SEC play and, and people are talking about how, how disappointing you are? I mean, it's just that, – that's kind of where Georgia is as far as the talent and the expectation. I, uh, there's a lot to like about this Georgia team, but you're right, John, about the, the confusion offensively. Juggling the offensive line, I was, I was, I was a little – a little confused as to why there was so much of that. I know it's the first game, and I know you want to try different guys, but you also want to allow your first five to get some good reps. I don't know if Ben Cleveland was nicked up in that game, but he comes out. Trey Hill has issues with snaps. He's one of the better centers going into this season, and I thought they got a big boost at right tackle when they actually made a move over there. And Warren McClendon came in, and he just seemed to be a little more athletic, and I think he helped. Stetson Bennett gets a lot of the credit for that comeback. But I think McClendon deserves a little bit as well. I don't know what the identity is of this offense right now because I think if you go into the season and Dwan Mathis is your quarterback, all of a sudden you're going to implement Q runs. You're going to have some read plays, maybe some option plays. You're going to design – you're going to move the pocket a little bit more. Now I believe JT Daniels will be the starter. and You're not going to design a lot of that stuff. You're not going to keep a lot of that stuff. You're not going to have that. And for that offensive line to have the leakage that it did against a very average Arkansas front, that's concerning to me. And I look at an offense that might not have an identity and might have some issues with personnel going up against a Kevin Steele defense with guys that have played a lot of football all over the place, especially the second and third level of that defense being super athletic, fast, quick, can get to the football. 
I think that's a massive advantage for Auburn. Um, I, I think Bo Nix looked better. I think this offense is going to be a better fit for him. I think it's actually Chad Morris's offense. I think whoever finds the run game earliest is going to win this football game. But I think Auburn's going to do it in a different way because I think Kevin Steele can find a way to slow down a more traditional rushing attack that Georgia's going to bring. But I think Chad Morris and Gus Malzahn sort of put their heads together. They find a way to get Sean Shivers, DJ Williams, Anthony Schwartz, Eli Stove. They're going to get the receivers involved. They'll have some extra tight ends that are going to be involved in this thing. They'll have some quarterback runs. Bo Nix has pretty good mobility. I think you got Seth Williams on the outside that's going to garner extra attention, which should open up some things over the middle of the field. I just have a feeling. I have this weird feeling that Auburn's going to go over there and find a way to win this football game, that, uh, that Georgia's kind of looking over their shoulder offensively, and some of, that, some of that questioning themselves could come back to haunt them against the defense that's shown they can cause turnovers and they can turn turnovers into points. So I think Georgia goes to Auburn probably I'll – go, I'll go 14-10 and finds a way to knock off the Georgia Bulldogs. You know, I'm curious about this number, first and foremost. When you see Georgia as almost a touchdown favorite, did that raise a red flag for you? I just felt like I see that number and I go, Auburn looked really good. I love the connection, as you mentioned, between Bo Nix and Seth Williams. By the way, Shivers is one of my favorite players in college football. That guy's like Sonic the Hedgehog. He can move. And he's so low to the ground, that low center of gravity. He's a really... I think underrated weapon for Chad Morris and Gus Malzahn on the offensive side of the football. Like, why is Georgia a seven point favorite here? It's weird too because you think about the home field advantage just is not the home field advantage that it normally is, especially in this league. Um, you know, I thought Auburn did a really good job Saturday of spreading out the fans, and a lot of people focused John on the optics of that, and they said, "Oh man, that's going to look really good." And my immediate thought was, having been in some other stadiums where most of the fans were sort of secluded to one portion of the stadium. I said, well, what's the best part about it is going to be how it sounds. It's actually going to sound halfway decent. Like it's going to sound semi-full because you've got the, the fans sort of spread across the entire stadium. Um, and you just, it doesn't matter where you go this year, you're not going to get the same kind of home field advantage. Uh, I mean, you think, about, you think about Mississippi State being able to go to Baton Rouge following up a national championship, and they don't really have any issues with their snap count. Or they don't have any issues with false starts. Like that, that should almost be a given, but they had no issues with it. So I think even with the home field not being the normal home field, it did look a little bit large to me. My, my, my immediate thought would be series history and, and just how much Georgia has dominated this game in the last decade. And obviously we know Vegas loves trends, and, and that would probably be where, where this line came from in my opinion. So you've got Auburn. Catching almost a touchdown, I, I think we agree that that's a good play. And then uh, if you're interested, maybe sprinkle a little bit on Auburn outright. That, that could be an outright winner uh, for you this weekend, and you're getting solid plus money um, on that action. It's going to be a fantastic game. Uh, Auburn-Georgia, as you mentioned, one of the best rivalries in college football. And just the way this season is playing out, the fact that this is game two for both these programs, um, it's, it, it's tough for the players, it's tough for the coaches, but it's fun for us, the fans and the people that love the sport. Next game up, South Carolina at Florida. Florida, 17-and-a-half-point favorite after Kyle Trask looked like maybe one of the best quarterbacks in college football. The kid's unbelievable. He throws for six touchdowns, over 600 yards. The Gamecocks coming in off a loss at home to Tennessee. How does this one play out? 
it's hard not to like almost everything you see at that Florida offense. And, and I'm, I'm with you on Kyle Trask. Just when you talk to Dan Mullen about Kyle Trask, the first thing that he brings up consistently is decision-making and just that he knows where to go with the football before Dan even tells him or anybody tells him. He, he knows what the look is. He, he can feel pressure before it develops. He's just a guy that has a great feel for everything they want to accomplish. And now he's got so many weapons around him. And I, I just, it's going to be tough for them to slow, for anybody to slow him down. Uh, the offensive line's gotten better. They got experience back. All five of those guys have played. Brett Hege looked exceptional last week. But I look at this number and I, I, I personally think it's a little bit too big. Um, I don't think Florida covers 17 and a half. And the reason why is they finally have an offensive coordinator that is going to be committed to the run game. The biggest issue with South Carolina offensively the last three, four years has been. They will be a run-heavy team, and the next week they'll get away from it. Or they'll, they'll run the ball 30 times in a half and then three times in the second half or series to series or possession to possession. Now they have a guy, Mike Bobo, that's not going to get away from it. I thought all three backs ran the ball hard last week. I think the offensive line with Sedaris Hutchinson and Dylan Wanham are pretty good. Nick Muse is a solid tight end. You know, Big drop late in that game. Obviously some questionable decisions to kick field goals. South Carolina easily could have come out with a win. But the one thing that I think we failed to notice last year, because so much of the attention went to Javon Kinlaw, is Aaron Sterling, Zach Pickens, Kingsley Inigbari. That's a really good defensive line. And here's the most interesting part about this game. South Carolina may have a couple of guys who are going to be the best possible matchup for Kyle Pitts all season. Because they have two gigantic corners. J.C. Horn and Israel McQuamu. McQuamu is more of a safety now, but he can play the nickel and he's played some corner. Now, McQuamu was a little bit banged up, uh, apparently was back at practice, moving around a little bit. But you're talking about a guy at 6'4", 205, 210, who is the absolute perfect matchup for Kyle Pitts. There's not a lot of people in college football that have a defender like that. And I think that T-Rob and Will will be able to sort of mix and match who is going to be on the best tight end in the nation and at least neutralize that portion of it with a good defensive line that could take away a little bit of the run and potentially put some pressure on Kyle Trask. I think Florida wins the game, but I don't think they cover because that defense has some holes. And I think Mike Bobo, with an experienced quarterback in Colin Hill who transferred in, a playmaker in Shai Smith, South Carolina will move the football a little bit. So I don't think the Gators cover, but I do think they win the game. Another thing to note, if if you are a fan of the dog in this game, is uh, what type of motivation does that underdog have on the road? And and maybe some have forgotten, uh, but Will Muschamp and and the Florida Gators, uh, that marriage didn't end uh, very well. Uh, And he's going back uh, to Gainesville. uh, And and there has to be a chip on the shoulder there. There always is. And and I think you're going to see that from Will Muschamp and and this program. If there's a way to bounce back from a loss at home and get that motivation uh, really ramped up, it's it's going to your old house and and going to try to beat your old program um, where you got fired. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, next game up, Texas A&M at Bama. Texas A&M, uh, not, a, not a great, and, and I'm sure you've been studying this film, preparing for the Vanderbilt game this weekend. Uh, Texas A&M didn't look great against Vandy. Uh, Bama at Mizzou made it look easy. I come off of last weekend saying, wow, Bama's the best team in college football. They look great. Uh, in the first half, it looked like men versus boys. This number's similar to the game we just discussed. Minus 17 for Bama here at home versus Texas A&M. The the old overreaction to week one is prevalent right now, that discussion. And I think you could argue that Texas A&M is maybe um, in that group of teams where you go, wow, they're not actually very good. Kellen Mond, he's not making the next step, and they couldn't couldn't blow out Vandy, so what the heck are they going to do at Bryant-Denny Stadium? How do you see this game, Cole? Uh, there's there's a lot of what you said that I actually do think uh, is not an overreaction and <laughs> fairly accurate. You know, th- the biggest compliment that I could pay Alabama after watching them week one is it did not look like their opener. It didn't look like week one for them. It, it looked like they played five or six games. Um, they seem to be in rhythm. They, they seem to be in sync. Not a lot of missed tackles. Not a lot of busted assignments. You didn't have a lot of whiffs on the offensive line. Defense flying around, making plays. Um, I, that to me was the most impressive part. You have some younger pieces uh, like Will Anderson that obviously are going to be able to step in and help. I like the way, I mean, Sar could have gone out there and just turned and gone, you know, toss left, toss right, or outside zone left, outside zone right 40 times in that game, and they'd have probably been fine. I like how the playbook was a little more creative. Try to force feed the football into the hands of some of your playmakers at wide receiver. You know, get Devonta Smith the football, get Jalen Waddle the football behind the line of scrimmage a little bit and allows them to create, make sure they get their touches across the course of the season. Mac Jones looked good. Deep ball was accurate. And then obviously you got a playmaker that might be a little bit of a problem making a decision with Bryce Young later in the season. But for now you have two guys that you know are capable. The only area that I see Texas A&M potentially being problematic for this Alabama football team is up front along the defensive line. And Alabama's offensive line played pretty good. I thought Landon Dickerson had his best game in an Alabama uniform. Uh, I thought Leatherwood was fantastic at left tackle, just another quiet, solid game for him with no mistakes. He had a few a few sort of uh, misses and missed assignments and whiffs by some of the other guys, but this A&M defensive front really impressed me against Vanderbilt. I know the offensive lines are not the same, but DeMarvin Leal made some plays. Jaden Peavy made plays. Bobby Brown was active. And finally, we finally saw the Michael Clemens that we've been waiting for for three years. The number one Juco defensive end a couple of years ago. He's had ankle issues. He's had a couple of lower body issues. And the 6'5", 270-pound defensive end, he set the edge. He was playing the run well. He had a couple one-on-one wins in pass pro. That's the area that I think they might be able to be a little bit problematic. And if Coach Elko can allow four to be disruptive up front, then you obviously get the extra help with some of those other playmakers that we mentioned. Or if you feel you need to add a body and run support, you can do that. But honestly, uh, having, having lost Hines, having lost 
uh, Elijah Blades on the back end to opt-outs. I, I just don't think this A&M is talented enough. It doesn't look like Kellen Mond has taken that gigantic leap that you're going to need to be able to go out there and score with Alabama. Not only do I think Alabama wins, I think Alabama covers at home because this series just flat out has not been competitive since A.J. McCarron and Johnny Manziel were playing college football. The number's set at 17, and I think you can make a realistic argument, Cole, that Bama wins this game you know, 45 to, to 14. And we've seen Nick Saban and, and company just roll over opponents at home. And it's what you said in regards to Alabama looking like this is their fifth game of the season in week one uh, after a, a global pandemic during spring practice, fall practice. That's a reflection of, of what? The coaching staff. And, and those guys get it done uh, every single year. We've got one more game left on the docket. Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin, the Lane train rolling into Lexington, Kentucky, where Mark Stoops is looking to bounce back from from that loss. You had eyes on this program field level last weekend. Kentucky's a six and a half point favorite here. Do you like the Cats in this spot? I actually do. This is a this is a physical mismatch for Ole Miss. I actually thought Kentucky was a was just barely a physical mismatch for Auburn because you lose Derek Brown, you lose Marlon Davidson. Yet Auburn lost 4,013 snaps on their offensive line just from last season. So all of a sudden, you got Quentin Bohanna and Phil Hoskins and Joshua Pascal. Not super athletic, not twitchy, not fast. They're not going to be first and second round draft picks, but just physical, mean, nasty front seven that Kentucky brought to the table. I don't know if that Ole Miss offensive line is going to be able to hold up. And Brad White does an excellent job limiting big plays. Now, 50-50 balls are a problem. We saw Seth Williams have success. You go back to the Tennessee game last year, Kentucky had issues with 50-50 balls. That's got to be cleaned up, and the turnovers from Terry Wilson have obviously got to be cleaned up. But Kentucky got the exact game that they wanted for three quarters last week, John. They, they controlled the line of scrimmage. They controlled the football. They outgained Auburn. They outrushed Auburn. They dominated the time of possession. If they can do that against Ole Miss, which I think they can because I don't see that Ole Miss defense getting a ton of stops this year, you might have an exciting offense and you might have a bunch of playmakers on offense, but if they're not touching the football, they're not going to be able to score a lot of points. I think Kentucky dominates on the ground. I think they dominate the clock. I think they're back at home. They're going to be a little bit more comfortable. They don't want to go 0-2, and I think they have a defense that's a bend but don't break, and they're going to force whoever's playing quarterback, be it Corral or Plumlee, to work their way down the field and hopefully find a mistake or two somewhere along the line. Uh, I like the Cats in this one to be able to bounce back, and I think they cover the six and a half. If you're keeping score at home, we have Auburn circled, Florida, Bama, and Kentucky circled this weekend. Four really good football teams, by the way, Cole, so I think you're on to something here. Uh, And again, you can catch Cole this weekend at Vandy LSU. Kickoff is set for 7.30 Eastern on SEC Network Saturday night. You can follow him on Twitter, at Cole Kublik. Cole, it's, it's always great to catch up with you, and man, it's been really fun um, to see your career take off. One of my favorite things to do is see you on SportsCenter uh, with Scott Van Pelt. Uh, enjoy the college football weekend, uh, and I hope we can chat again soon. Absolutely, John. Thanks for having me, man, and I look forward to catching up again soon. All right, that's going to do it for another week right here on Football and Grits. I'm John Hayes. You can follow me at John Hayes on air on Twitter. Coming up next week, we'll have a full slate of shows. Remember, we're here five days a week during the season. And every Monday, David Oven and Andy Staples will be with you to recap the weekend. 
that was in the SEC. How many upsets are we, are we going to get this weekend? Who would have predicted that Mississippi State would have beat LSU outright at Tiger Stadium after that national championship? If you, if you go outside the SEC, Oklahoma goes down outright at home as well. Cole mentioned the lack of fans in stadiums and how that could potentially change outcomes this season with home field advantage really not being as strong in the SEC as it usually is. So this could be a roller coaster ride this season. Before you go, if you could do us one thing, we'd really appreciate it. If you could subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show, we'd really appreciate it. Leave us a review. Drop us a five-star review. It really, really helps get the word out. You can listen to the show ad-free, by the way. All you have to do is become an athletic subscriber and get this. It's only $1 a month. Use the promo code theathletic.com grits to sign up for The Athletic. Not only will you get uh, all of our content uh, in regards to the SEC, but you'll get all of our college football content and anything that The Athletic has to offer, you'll have access to, including the Andy Staples Show, the Audible with Stu and Bruce, all ad-free. The Athletic is the best place. I'm telling you, and I'm not just saying this because I work there. The Athletic is the best place to get ad-free content on the internet about the sports and the teams that you love. So sign up. We'd really appreciate it. Really drop us that review. Leave us those five stars. And until next week, we'll talk to you then. 